forever. Dog. The strange thing about being an actor is you go into being an actor and you're like, I can be all these different things. I can do all these different things. And then you get cast and you go, wait, you wanted, you wanted this? Welcome to Household Faces, the podcast where a character actor interviews other character actors. I'm your host, John Ross Bowie. You might know me from Speechless, The Big Bang Theory, or that one episode of Sophia the First where I played Sven, the singing seahorse. It was animated. Our guest this episode is Kirsten Van's Ness. Now, you might know Kirsten from her work on Criminal Minds, her extensive L.A. theater resume, the terrific noir parody Kill Me Deadly, and we'll get to that. But first, the art of creation during a pandemic, talking as self-soothing, and the way art and politics keep doing their PDA thing. Please welcome Kirsten Vansness. Let's just get into it. Let's just charge right in here. <laughs> um, I'm in the middle of doing something right now. I'm start. I'm making something. This is all on my own. Like just me making a thing. Uh, is it? A, I mean, I'm understand you're going to be cagey about it, but is it a? Oh, a I don't mean be cagey. Thing? I, is it no, a movie? It's, it's, yes, it's. It is. Yes, it's that. Um, it's. It's. Um, I've been doing this. Uh, Kirsten's agenda. This podcast, right? Yeah. And it was originally. Um, I started it during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and it was originally during the, and not to get, I mean, I'm not getting political. I'm getting authentic during the last, because art and politics make out constantly and you cannot make their tongues not touch. And I'm sorry. I I agree. They're, 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 they're sloppy and they should get a room. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, so uh, uh, before I found as I got deeper and deeper into the last presidential administration and i know that everything you know well it's not just that but it is a reflection of our collective you know mind thing and we were existing much more in a mentality of uh this sort of fake i woke up like this like as long as the exterior looks a certain way or a shiny way or whatever um everything inside it doesn't matter what's going on inside it matters what you're saying right so we were living in this the sky's orange because I said it's orange and, and then the pandemic was happening, right? And it felt like impossible to make imaginary things because it wasn't the time for it, right? It was the time to get super authentic. It was the time to go, here's the ground, here is I'm breathing. You know what I mean? It was the time to like, I couldn't make anything. I could read a bedtime, you know, I could read a children's book or whatever, but I couldn't really do anything else. So first I was just reading children's books on uh, Instagram at night because I was like, oh, I noticed like I like to do it. My cats like to do it. And I would wake up and like uh, I, I'm friends with Neil Gaiman. So I was like, he won't care if I read one of his books. So like I read one one night, I texted him. I hope it's OK. I read, I read this book, uh, uh, you know, on Instagram. And I woke up and there was like, you know, a ridiculous number of people had listened to it. And I was like, well, that's something, right? Because I think that the point of making something, it's not the validation of the it's not that it's that you're doing something that's that's why I like theater, right? You're doing something where you're having an exchange of energy back and forth and creating what you hope is positive juice so that the world runs on more positive juice than, than it. So, so I had, I had, um, you get it. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> so I, I was doing that and then I was like, okay. And then, then, then I thought, oh, I'll make this show, this Kirsten's agenda show. And it was like, there, I can't make up anything because everything that's happening is so like real. So I was like, I'll just interview people like, okay, tell me why the census is important. Let me interview a, uh, a friend of mine who happens to be a black trans woman and talk about how her dad is in the Air Force and their barbecues. Like, because so many people in the middle of America follow stuff I do. So I was like, I want them to just, I just want it. Can we just be like, come on, like, stop it. Like, stop the magical thinking that it's people living their freaking lives that's destroying everything and and understand that that's a distraction. Like, so um, I had my cousin come on and talk about why um, statues are stupid uh, as an Italian. Uh, and, and like, and so like all these different things. And, and then it was like, okay, things seem like a little better. So the second season, this is my answer to your question. I apologize. It's very circuitous. No, so fine. the second season of it I was like, okay, I can do something with my, more with my imagination. Cause that's kind of what I always wanted to do. I don't want to be a talk show host or a, I just make things like I like to make things mm-hmm. and I couldn't make things. So like I was doing the show and I'd write a song. So after every little show, I'd write a little song based on the show. So that was my making of something. Fun. And, and I don't play an instrument. I My dad was a band director. I play the clarinet badly, but like I would just sing these songs and make them up. And every once in a while, I could get a friend who played a cello or something to come in and do it. And, um, and then the second season happened. It's funny because this is how things work, right? There hasn't been anything to do. So it's not even been a year and there's already been two seasons of this. Right. And so I, uh, I... Did the second one and the second one oh i can use my imagination a little bit more i think because it feels safe because it feels like there are parents at least in the in the house that we call the white house like it felt more like real like uh-huh. okay things are more real which means everybody collectively is understanding real so i can be a little i can i felt energetically like i can use my imagination more so then it was i told everybody in the little production company thing that i make it with I'm just going to talk about stuff I learned with my therapist. I'm going to interview myself. And they were like, well, you can't do a podcast anymore because no one's going to really listen to it because people listen to people talking to people. And which I totally get, except I think that the drama triangle is important. And I think everything is based on it, which is this thing that this therapist made up where all of us are at any moment. And I think it's true. It's salient with acting too. There are personas. So there's our essential self. And then there's the victim, which all of us at one point or another, because we were kids, were a victim, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's our victim persona that, that we all try to hide. And we either hide it by being a hero, by being super helpful to everybody, mm-hmm. or being a villain. Uh, uh, someone like um, Trump is, has, is victim, but he thinks he's such a victim that he seems like a villain, unless you look at him in a different kind of way, and then he seems like a hero. But some people live their whole lives on this drama triangle, and the whole idea is to get you know off of the drama. I was going to say, how do we get off the drama triangle? How do we? Uh... You recognize it. You go, ha ha, because you can never right. totally get off of it, right? Sure. Well, all of us live in some, you know, part of it. You know, you try. Everyone's trying to avoid being. Everyone's trying to push push their victim away because it's the grossest part, right? It's the sure. part that. But that really the thing you're supposed to do, I guess, according to my therapist, I'm not an authority on anything, uh, is, is, and that's this podcast that I do is called Kirsten's Agenda, which is just, my agenda is just to try to like, kind of be healthy and take deep breaths 35% of the day. So, um, uh, but like, I think the idea is that you just carry it along with you and you 
remember that you're the essential, you're the big kid, right? And that like, you've got this and that sometimes this comes up and how do you calm it down without trying to create the external circumstances the way you need them to be? Which is exactly what our, pres our former president was doing. I don't, I'm not even talking about this president because um, he's not externalizing his own drama so much no. out on other people, right? But when you hear someone say, it's your fault, you're the bad guy, you're the good guy, you did this, you did, when you're trying to control all that outside experience to settle yourself down, that means that you're on the drama triangle. So it's something right. that I think about all the time because I do it all the time. And so I was like, I'm just going to do a whole, you know, 20 episodes on, on stuff that I talk about. There was, I'm just going to, I'm just going to theatralize it and I'm going to whatever. So I did that uh, for 20 episodes. And now to answer your question, it's on to the 15 minutes later, it's on to the third, whatever of it. I'm like, okay, okay, I've no, I, I want to do the thing that I want to do, which is I have all of these stories that I've written, some of which I've done on stages, some of which I've read short stories of before, um, and some of which aren't, aren't uh, haven't been put completely out in the world, but little half bits or um, whole stories that I've done, but I, I haven't done it the way I want. So there's one in particular, um, which I've now done on stage and I've done, you're actually the first person I'm saying this out loud to, um, I'm starting to film it today. <laughs> um, so I did a play at, uh, a couple of years ago and then we took it to fringe and then I did a, I made a graphic Cleo, novel Theo out and Wu or Cleo, you're... Cleo, Theo and Wu. Yeah. I made a graphic novel out of it and it's, and it's about, um, it's a space romp. It's about women in history and it's about like how to be a girl and it's about feminine energy. I'm not talking about man, woman. I'm talking about, I think that feminine energy is the thing that makes bread, a baby, a, a song. It's the empty space inside of a human body that you can literally make something like it's some sort of connection from somewhere else in you and like poof a thing happened you know what I mean and do you think that a work like that might be even more relevant post-pandemic given that we were all living in a massive empty space and frankly a lot of us were making bread a lot of us were making bread I don't know and you know the thing is is that I'm not a person I mean come on who doesn't look outside to the world especially as an actor who wants to you know get a job or you know whatever but we all look outside to the world like full circle for validation and well, what's everybody doing? What's the thing? What's the hot, what's the, where's the, who's got a star on their belly and how do I get one? And did I do it too late? Did I miss it? Like there's all that. And I have never, uh, I was never good at belonging. And then it sort of became right there. Who said that? John Waters and I'm sure Billy and other people, but I think John Waters said like, find the thing that everybody made fun of you of, get really good at it, I'm paraphrasing. And then that's your superpower, right? So like, mm -hmm. I've never belonged. I was never, I never belonged. And then, you know, the weird thing about booking a job uh, or a thing where it's not like, no, I didn't, I played this character on Criminal Minds forever and ever and ever, right? I played Penelope Garcia. I am no computer genius. I am not her. We are I'm struggling just now to set up a QuickTime file. You were struggling. I watched it. Oh, happen. Yes, you watched it in real time. Yeah, and no, I think was... I can't, you can't convince me that there aren't little people inside of the thing. Like you can't convince me that there aren't tiny animals on bicycles making this work right now. Um, and, and so like, yeah, I don't, I don't have that kind of brain, but we're neighbors 
And the, the, the strange thing about being an actor is you go into being an actor and you're like, I can, I want to do everything. I can be all these different things. I can do all these different things. And then you get cast and you go, wait, you wanted, you wanted this, you wanted me. You just wanted me. Who wants to hear me talk? Like that's that weird thing. And like, I can't help but be like, I get, you know, there's those actors that like, you become someone else. I become someone else by putting my central nervous system in those given set of circumstances right. and make the giant, the, the assumption that my central nervous system is going to adopt this beliefs because my, that's how my imagination works. And that's not the right way. It's just the way I do it. And um, so my point is I've never really been good at like assimilating and fitting in. And I'm not good at looking around and being like, what are the cool kids doing? So I just kind of do the, sh- the shit that I, need to make. I kind of make the thing. The problem with that being is I probably have like four, two, two to one to four central. These are the only things I give a shit about that I want to write about. And I want, and I'm just going to keep, you know, so it's weird. It's like, I'm always like, I'm doing my little project over here. You know, what's she building in there? And she's kind of building the same, the same four things, but they're really important to me um, to get out. Cause I, I feel like they need to be talked about. Well, I think there, there. I think we all have themes that we come back to um, and explore from from different angles. Um, people, frankly, it's funny what you said. Your John Waters quote. People have made fun of me for years for my encyclopedic knowledge of character actors. And when they came to me about doing this podcast, I was like, I'm going to do just this. I'm going to do the thing that people make fun of, and I will have a podcast where we talk about Brad Dorif and that will be my, my fucking job now and, and take that world. But let's back up for a moment. You were talking about how uh, you've always had a problem assimilating Cerritos high school is where you went. Is that correct? Yes. Well, I'm, I, I was born in Pasadena and then I was right. raised in Portville, California, which is where um, Devin Nunes, it's the red part of California. Uh-huh. So we moved here um, at a, and I, that was, that's where I went to high school. So I, I did everything else before that and then got dropped into Orange County. I remember. That's what I was going to ask. It's right on the border though, right? It's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, like Long Beach. It's yeah, like Long, Long Beach, Beach right. Orange County. Yeah. And, um, and I remember uh, the, the, that Orange County, I love Orange County. I co-own a distillery with my friends in Orange County still. And so I still frequent there a lot because it's a fun nerd sciencey thing to you know go and you know whatever um and and I went to school there my mom still lives there and I taught there and stuff like that you and taught there yeah it was my day job was I was uh I worked at a group home for kids that wouldn't succeed foster care for like years um which was funny because everybody else was getting their like um was getting their you know child development psychology social service degree and I was getting a theater degree and, um, and I remember like, they're going to eat me alive because these are kids that just, I mean, talk about, you know, kids mirror neurons. All they do is reflect back. Even if the parent isn't, even if your parent didn't do that in front of you, if they're thinking it, if they're doing it out there, the kids are just little mirror neurons. They just, they just can copy. So like these kids were just like copying all this trauma, you know, and stuff. And it was crazy. And the only thing I had was I remember going to the library because I didn't have any money and just getting books and showing up. And one of the ladies who worked there was smoking a cigarette in the front. She's taking a break. She's like, they're going to eat you alive. 
And it, there's no kind of acting uh, class than sitting with a child who might shit in a pillowcase and throw it at you. Uh, and so you better, you better be entertaining. So I would read stories and, you know, and get them all involved in whatever. So I did that. And then I started substitute teaching, which was way easier than, than that. Although I loved it. I did it for a really long time. It was just a very um, seductive job because you you're in a house with children you love and people you care about and 80 hours goes like that. Like you're just, and you're making no money, you know? And so, uh, so I started substitute teaching where you make no money, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's still, it's still, it was still money. It was still like a hundred dollars. It's like 30 hours a week too. It's, 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 yeah, you can, you can do that. And then I start, I would get, I get cast. I would get, I, it felt like getting cast. I got, uh, I worked a lot because I had done this rough job and I have this sort of, it, it really, it taught me about my childhood because I had a very tumultuous childhood. And so going into that world, I was like, oh, I was watching these adults act out and get in power struggles with the kids. And I was like, I don't want to be that. Okay, so what's the alternative? And then you kind of watch, you get to watch. And I don't have kids of my own. My beloved has a daughter. I have a lot of children in my life. Um, but I got to watch like, oh, do you want to create an inner directed human being or an outer directed human being? Do I want with myself to create an inner directed human being or an outer direct, someone who is provoked by going back to full circle, that face that's staring at you going, you're doing a good job, you're doing a bad job, which all of us fall victim to, or do I want to follow my own, like just my own compass? And how do you teach another person without intimidation, just by laying it out? And because I had that in me already, when I went to teach school, it was like, I ha I can, I could throw out consequences without any emotion. You know, I could go to a high school and be like, Hey, I'm uh, Miss Kirsten. Uh, I need you to do this stuff. And if you do it, cool. And if you don't, I'll tell you, I'll warn you and I'll give you detention. Okay. And then I could just sort of live my life and be my weird Mary Poppins self. And they'd be like, how'd I get in trouble? And I'm like, cause I told you, I didn't, did you not? I'm sorry. Oh, that's and then, so the, everybody did what I said. So I would get, I would get, um, and I was so, I've always, again, I can't follow direction. So the meaning other people's directions, I want to be a rule follower, but I'm so bad at it that uh, to, to substitute teach, it was like, I need to get this thing done. This teacher said, how do I make them do this in a way that, so it was a lot of like, it was a lot of, I guess I've never done stand up, but it was kind of closer to like, I need to entertain you and provoke you in a way that makes you feel so inspired. You, you need to do that proof you need to so yeah because i almost flunked out of cerritos i mean i did essentially um flunk out i did not do well it, it in high school because there was a lot happening in my household and i did not my mother there was just so much going on that it was um impossible i think to do stuff i was i, I mean i realized like i never did a i never did a school project and i i hate this because i really think that um do you know the, um, what's that called? The Mandela effect where mm -hmm. people believe that things happened and other people don't. I sometimes think like I'm in a Mandela effect with my family because I can't lie. <laughs> and so I am very clear about like, this was not good for any of us and it was bad. And these are the things that happened. And there, and it, it's very upsetting to them, especially because I can't not, like, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm gonna protect 
people, but at the same time, I can't like tell like code your childhood or just what happened, yo. Like I don't mean like and 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 I'm not mad. I'm not um. You know, I think that's what what ha- when people choose, which I've done too, when people choose to be with a, like a narcissist or a whatever you call it, you know, someone who can't make human connections without benefit to themselves. And that person is someone who is physically stronger than everybody else. And that person is of a different, you know, that whole, like when you, when you sort of get treated like your property and everything's all wackadoo and your mom's just trying to get by, like Mm -hmm. that's what happens. So I, I did not do well in school. I had a lot of anxiety attacks. I was barely in any good classes. And then when I got to community college, I got straight A's. I remember being like, this is amazing. Cause I had moved by the time I was 16, I started to live at a friend's house uh, most of the time. And that was one of my saving graces was being in theater and having a friend in theater. This was going to be my question. When did you, uh, it sounds like you've always kind of connected storytelling as a way out of trauma. Was that in high school that that clicked? My dad was an opera singer and he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, I mean, like he, he blew out his voice. He did a lot of substances and he 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 did not choose to not uh drink uh because he it, what it did to his his you know it dysregulated him a lot and um it's a very very and, polite diplomatic way to say it dysregulated <laughs> that's very you should run for office that's phenomenal go ahead <laughs> so um he uh so when we moved to porterville he would get cast as like Nanky Poo and the Mikado or Birdie and Bye Bye Birdie. And my sister, who's three and a half years older than me, is was always like very um, little and pretty. And, um, and so she would be like a teenager in Bye Bye Birdie. And when I was growing up, they didn't, It's Pat didn't come out on Saturday Night Live until I was in high school, I think. Mm-hmm. But I was very androgynous. I was very, um, you know, I've always been, not knowing the words for it, I've always been queer. And uh, bisect pants, whatever the fuck, I don't know. I figure out, I change the whatever, but I know that bit. Um, So I was, and I was terrorized for what I looked like Mm. because I just looked different. And I was holding so much of what was going on in the house on me. You know, it was just like these flashing signs all over my body of, of, of that. And so I would get cast because it was sort of like babysitting. My dad was Birdie. My mom is getting her master's degree. My sister is- Her master's in, in what? Uh, it took years and we don't know. I think- Okay, it, fair enough. Education. My mom is like the smartest person in the world, but I think she was just trying to get out of the house, get away from him. But oh, like wow. he was, he was, and then my sister would be a teen. And then I, at like seven, was like one of the old folks who would, because I just didn't have the posture to be able to be with everybody else. And then- um that was fascinating because I didn't talk. I was really, I'm, I'm, no one believes this until you know me better, but I'm really shy. The talking is a um, learned behavior mm-hmm. of like doing podcasts, speak. Don't talk, don't stop until he tells you. Then go again and please person. You know, it's like that kind of a thing. It sounds like talking. I mean, when I, when you say what you're saying right now and, and 
reading Neil, and I remember when you were reading Neil Gaiman books during the height of the pandemic, which feels like six years ago, but um, but I, I absolutely remember because I follow you on Instagram, I follow you for years, and and yeah, you were reading these things. It sounds like talking is a, is a way of self-soothing. Yes, yes, talking and journal writing. I, I, mm. I, I read uh, uh, Harriet the Spy when I was in fifth grade. And I oh, I love that book. That's I have it. A gorgeous, That's- I have a gorgeous early edition. I'm in my son's room and he's got my copy. I love Harriet the Spy. Oh, it's one of the best books ever. And I, I really, she's one of my heroes. Like I really resonate with that. And I have over right there where I'm turning, I have a bookshelf of probably, I mean, I've kept a journal since I was in fifth grade. So um, I write down and I can write and look around a room. So like I usually, if I'm at a party, like I'll talk or whatever, but I'm, I'm an ambivert. I'm good at talking to people, but I get more energy from sitting back and like, what's happening, what's happening, what's happening. And, um, and just write down stuff. And, and so, yeah, so, and talking it out is the way that I, yeah, I, I have um, a pretty frenetic energy and mind landscape and it requires a lot of dumping out the junk drawer you know? And so that talking- Onto the page? Yeah. Or out of my face. And it okay. requires a lot of, you know, like that. And, and I, I, I get, I have a lot of shame about it too. Cause um, you know, brevity is not my forte. And I always wish, you know, those people that can just sort of like, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> I did it for a couple seconds. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I'm just going to be slow and I can do that, except it's harder for me you know, any times I've played parts where I get to just kind of not, you know, bleh, uh, is, is I can do it, um, but it's not my natural, you know, thing. So, yeah, so I, I did drama and I wasn't, I was sort of doing it because of my, my, I was in it. It was just like no choice. Mm-hmm. Then um, I got like three parts in like elementary school and junior high where like I got the lead somehow. I didn't know. I just read. And then a girl would cry, pretty, pretty girl whose butt I, l- I like to look at. These are various girls. And I would be like, you can have it. Um, <gasps> and I'd give them the part and then I'd be whatever. And then, um, and then when I got into high school, I, when we moved here, I stopped talking for a year. I just was done. I couldn't. You, you I couldn't keep, you keep saying here, are you in Cerritos? No, no, no. Moved to Southern California. Oh, okay. I perceive right. Central California as its own world. Okay, and fair enough. Here is the place where I remember moving here. I remember seeing a girl in an outfit entirely in yellow. And I thought everyone here has all of the money. Like how do you get a whole outfit all in yellow? Um, okay. <laughs> but for some reason, I thought that kind that's of- a weird, That's a weird wealth signifier, but go ahead. <laughs> but at the time it was, think about it. Think about it. You really have to like- to get a good pair of yellow pants and a good, like a I, lot I guess, of- Yeah, I guess it would not, it would take a lot to match. You're absolutely right. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so so I uh, I stopped talking for about a year and I just, just to get out, just to get out of the, of the making my face say something stupid. And, uh, you know, I just held, I held my clear binder with the clear things where I stuck all of my Duran Duran clippings. And, um, and this way I only got trash canned uh, for having the binder as opposed, that's where, by the way, if you're not familiar with trash canning, that's where someone grabs your stuff, puts it in a trash can. And then if you don't get it out of the trash can yourself, they put you inside the trash can too. Um, I, I could kind of tell from context, but I appreciate the <laughs> the more thorough exegesis. Go ahead. It's, it's all good. Cause 
I now get to say that because that happened to me. Um, uh, so, um, so yeah, so like, I just, I stopped talking and then my mom said, you have to take drama or you have to take, um, shop. And I didn't want to take shop. So I took drama and our first two assignments were no talking. They were like pantomime shit. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, I get to sit on us and just pantomime. Like, Oh, I'll yes. And did it. And, um, I got an A and I hadn't gotten an A in anything, anything. And, um, and then I just like, and then, you know, there's that story that I think everybody has when they're a drama nerd where you're like, you're still sitting by yourself and you, you know, I dress, I was so weird that the goths didn't want me. Like I, I, I still dress in my own way, but like, I was like, my mom said I was a distraction at school. Like and it wasn't like I was trying to be. It was just really important. Like it was really important. Well, I imagine you aired on a slightly more colorful side than the goths did. No, I still went for the blacks and okay. stuff. I was doing things like I would take nylons and I would cut one leg so that there were two different nylons. And I got everything from the thrift store because that was mm-hmm. what we could do. And um, so it was just like this weird combination of like, I'm going to take this bathrobe and if I cut off the bottom and then I tie a ribbon around it, it's going to be a skirt. And then I'll take the top part and I'll make a half jacket. And oftentimes, because I am a bigger built person, things don't zip up that you really want to wear. So I developed a, a V-neck back that's not a thing. It's just where you can't zip up a dress. So you just oh, fold, fold in the back, but it tends to buckle in strange ways. And and it's a whole it's a whole thing. Um, but it was, it, there were just, uh, I was trying to be goth, but I would fail. I think that the attempt was to be more darker, you know, whatever, but I couldn't really land it. And, um, and I, uh, then I got, you know, you get discovered by someone in the drama class that, you know, so my friend, Michael, um, came up to me at, at, at lunch and said, no, you don't come here, <laughs> like you belong here and brought me into the thing. And I was like, into the thing, into, into the, the into the into the drama room, okay. where yeah. everybody hung out, which I had class, but like I didn't, you know, I was never invited. So um, to be there at lunchtime, and you know, slowly, 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 oh, these this is my people, and so me and Michael and James all became friends, and uh, uh, very upsetting to find out they were gay. Like that's that whole thing where you're like, they're perfect. Which one can I pick? Mm. Can't pick either. Um, yeah. And uh, and then. Yeah. And then, and then through that, I mean, absolutely saved my life because it was like, I was good at something. I was getting cast in things. What were you getting cast in in high school? Oh, um, let's see. The first big part I had was something called juvie and it was about a juvenile detention center. Let me explain the uh, topography of this. Um, So the, the male, the, the boys that are put away are in this cell. And then there's a, a line of bars that separate them from the, the girls that have been put away on this side. Okay. And we're processing what's happened to us through a series of monologues. And okay. I, I played Pinky, the heroin dealer. And um, uh, my, ther- my uh, teacher at the time had this thing called EOCs, extraordinary characteristics that you had to do. Mm-hmm. And um, I decided that Pinky's would be scratching herself. Um, and we would, we would do these elaborate, like, let's pretend that we're really in this situation. So someone would bring like matches to school that was a pyromaniac. I brought a bag of powdered sugar and a steak knife because cocaine. And apparently you can tell I didn't do drugs in high school. Um, uh, and, and we would act out. Th- and then, so I scratched myself to the point that I made everything raw. 
and, uh, and I had terrible anxiety attacks, which I still do right before I perform, but not like I did that day. I remember, um, the first time I, you know, just, oh my gosh, just everyone's going to be looking at me. And it was a pretty big part. So I did that. And then we did a chorus line and I was mm -hmm. in a chorus line, but for tits and ass, we sang this and that. Cause you know, um, and, uh, we did an Anne Rand play called night of January 16th. Um, I did not know she was a playwright. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was a choose your adventure at the end. Um, really true. Yeah. 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 Um, and what kind of libertarian do you want to be? Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And I think I played her come to think of it. I played Nancy Faulkner, who's basically like, you know, she could have carried the art of selflessness, selfishness in her, her proxy, yeah. handbag. Um, and, and then, uh, yeah. So when I graduated, I was like, like I said, I was flunking. And I remember I got a thing for like the award ceremony that school had, which was like a special, like for people who got like good grades and SAT, whatever. And I was like, why am I getting this thing? And I went and it was because like my teacher had like, I got not, I got like a hundred dollars from like Bank of America for being a good actor. And I remember being there and, and um, the smartest guy in school that I never had really even talked to because he was so like, so fancy. I was walking by him and he said, he grabbed my hand after I got it. And he said, you really deserve that. What the what? And then when I um, graduated and I went to, I went to community college, that's when I really got like when you know you get the oh I went and then I went to the California State Summer School of the Arts, which okay. was again, like a saving grace to be like oh my gosh wait a minute I have to do this I have I have to do this because I get off on um, feeling like I accomplished something or feeling like I did something for you know whatever and then. When I got into college, uh, you know, you learn, you know, Stella Adler and Eric Morris and all that. And I got so into the technique of it all that I would take my scripts and I would write every line, like, what do you mean? And then I would write a line next to it. And then I would write my objective. So to interrogate, and then I would put a box next to that line and I would draw a picture, which was going to be the image I was going to think before I said that th I got real technical, which makes your acting, by the way, very clunky. I don't recommend it because you're, you, you're, but, but. It's a trap though. I mean, I think there's, you can, you, we've both seen actors who are overtrained. Yes. And have a, a unnatural stiffness because they're just constantly thinking. Uh, yes. I think the key is to do so much of that homework that it becomes natural and it just becomes muscle memory. That's right. But if you do like half the much, half of as much work, then you're constantly thinking like, right now I am here to impress. Right, right. now I am here to question. And, right. and that slows and you, yeah. I feel like that the main, the main, I feel like all of us have the same lessons, I think anyway, and maybe this is just me, but I feel like we all have the same lessons that we're just constantly learning on an onion right? That they get more sophisticated and whatever. And then you're like, damn it, I'm doing that thing. Again. And mine are being hard on myself mm -hmm. and um, like learning how to throw it away, learning how to just surrender, you know? And I think all that control, exactly what you said, it's like, it, you think you have control over the performance. And when you surrender, you start learning that like, I mean, that's, and that's one of, I think, 
that my teacher, my acting teacher at school, she put post-it notes when we had a performance, she put around the classroom. And I remember she had a post-it note up and I remember seeing it and it was like, and I remember like going up to her and said, when, when, can I have that? Can I have that when it's done? And I, it's my thing. It is still my thing. And it is love the art in yourself and not yourself in the art. I'm 90% sure that's a Stanislavski quote. Yeah, I think yeah. it's somebody like that. And I can never remember who it is. But yeah. that idea that it has, you get to participate. How lucky are you? And whatever your art is, because I don't think art is always, you know, art, what we call art. It could be child rearing. It could be everything is art. Getting dressed in the mor- moment, you know, morning is art. If you want it to be, it's, it's, it's when you get to participate in concert with that surrender and your own, like, wouldn't that be neat? Or that kind of turns me on. And you get to participate in that. The trick is to not get a fat head and to be like, look at what I just did. The trick is to just ride the wave and know that it actually has nothing to do with me. It has to do with my ability to, you know, I am this one person, you are this one person. We have all of these life experiences. So I have this big, you know, hole in me that is covered with the moss and goo of my life experience. And, and how does that empty juice come through my moss in a different way that it mm-hmm. comes through that person? Mm-hmm. And my moss isn't better than that person. The only thing you can do better, quote unquote, is to keep the hole as open as you can. But if you do keep the hole open, you just congratulate yourself for surrendering. You don't need to congratulate yourself on like the acting. Because to me, that's too much pressure. Because it's so magic if you get out of the way and so many cool things can happen if you don't take all that responsibility. At least that's how I see it. That's well, no, it's, it's a question of whether or not you're going to celebrate creation or celebrate your status having created. And the other one is just so small. It really is. Because really also is. you and I both know people. I'm going to make the, I know, I know because I, I watched, I've watched you on the screen and I've watched you on that amazing, amazing play that I still think about the Ramones play. I think oh, wow. All oh, the time. I appreciate that. Thank it's you. It's such a great play. It was, I spent the whole time watching, this is such a great play. This is such a, he wrote, he wrote like just so exciting. Like, oh, it's that means a lot, Kirsten. Thank you. That, no, it's true. That needed to It was to fun be to write. Fun. It was fun to write. Yeah. Oh, and, and that's, that's the whole point of it, right? Is that we like do the things that turn us on and whatever, right? Well, and, it's in, in keeping with your earlier point, like I was made fun of for, for, liking this band that had songs like beat on the brat and i want to be sedated yeah. and i i took that as like well fuck you i'm going to write a kitchen sink drama about these guys and uh and take that world oh it's um, wonderful and now the problem of course is that <laughs> too much um and something i'm working on is that uh i've still got a part of me that is working through spite <laughs> Or yep. some sort of weird like adolescent vengeance plan that I'm I'm that I, and I'm getting rid of it and I'm moving through it. I am doing the same there. thing. I'm doing the same thing. I mean, it's a if it's a fuel source, what's wrong with a fuel source? And it, the more conscious we are of it, the better. Yeah, no, I'm definitely conscious of it. I'm definitely definitely conscious of it. But it, it is interesting, and I think we have that in common. There's a sense of like, um, I will. Uh, I will show my impediments what, what, what's what, you know, I will, I will create through them. And, um, 
and there's a sense of, of victory. Um, but I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a, a clean victory. You know, I wanted to be a clean fuel source. You know, this is what I'm saying. I want to be a clean fuel source with zero emissions. That's what I'm I looking for. I hear you. I hear you. But things do run on shit too. So that's that's also true. That is also very true. true. And I, I do think that that thing that like defiant kind of punk rock, like fuck you, I'm gonna jump. Like, I think that it is something. As long as you can be playful with it, I think it's one of the things that. I mean, I know for me, and I'm I'm. I feel, I hear what you're saying. So I'm relating to it. So I'm reflecting this back to you. I think it is one of the things that make us the kind of people, you know, there are people that we know and we've known for a long time. You're like, how come we energetically, I think it keeps your vibrancy. It keeps your teenage vibrancy kind of like constantly online. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I think so much of this uh, business um, can be helped if there is a sort of childlike joy running through it. Yeah. You know, I think we yeah, can instead of like of... damaged people that don't realize that they're just reenacting high school. I, w- I want to uh, talk a little bit um, on, a, on a sort of a, an er sense now about your your career. Um so much of what you've, you've got sort of a dream thing going on here because you had this incredibly steady TV gig for 300 episodes on a network 300 show. And, 325 episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've managed to use the freedom that that has given you because there's times where you're, I, I've watched a bunch of episodes. There's times where like she worked charitably two days a week on this episode and because i'm a theater nerd i would i would be in that chair for a shorter amount of time than i would be in the makeup chair and it was a running joke they would put me in on fridays because the crew could go home early okay i would shoot everything like a one-person show and they would bring in directors and be like if you let her go i mean give her a note but if you want we'll just do a wide a medium a close-up and then we'll just move on and because that you're you're that good at getting off book or you're that focused or you I'm, just treated I, it like one I, woman show. I spent the times I did a lot of the time, you know, on a on a on a TV show, there's the you get your call sheet and then you see like on the call sheet, it'll, not the call sheet, you know, the, the thing where the work the is, day out of days, like, it's called. Yes. The day yeah. of the day, it'll say www. Those are the days you work. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it's F if you finish and then it's S when you start. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times. A lot of times, everybody else has a thing full of W's and they're that what on a lot of times on mine, it said start work finish on one day. Right. And it was on a day where there was a bunch of other stuff that had to happen. And they run this new, this license plate. Yeah, exactly. And it's nine scenes and some monologues. And it is a hard job with a lot of hours. And we were all really close. And it is very, um, it can feel, I have a, I, you know, I worked. I work, I've worked a bunch of day jobs. I right now that I don't have a job, I have I feel like I should go to Starbucks just so I can work. Like because yeah. it feels wrong. Mm-hmm. So it, it felt bad to be like, I can't, I have to go in and do it right. Like I don't have an I have to. And 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 that's okay. Like that sounds like this not I'm I'm a little, little heroing, but I would go home and you know, for those four days that I'm not there before I go to work, I rehearsed the I mean, not only did I rehearse, I would learn the lines. I would rewrite them because I started to rewrite them because they would let me. 
So I essentially started to write all of the things and then, which was nice because then they let me write episodes and, and, you know, as it did went you, on. did you not co-write the series finale? Am I, I did. I, I co-wrote four episodes and, and that's impressive. That's really, Im- especially for, I think that happens a lot more in comedy than it does in hour long drama. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of awesome and striking that you, you got to, to do that. Anyway, you were saying, yeah, you, t- you take four yeah. days and so I would just learn my learn my lines learn my lines how how and then what and then and then you you got to make it something I realized early on in this job because I had filled my art well so full before this I was doing constantly doing plays constantly but you know well you were in your you were in your low 30s when you got this gig right you weren't you weren't just a a, you know fresh out of drama I was 30 I just I turned 49 on July 7th um, and I got the job, I think when I was like 33, 34, and I got it because I was doing a play with a, uh, I done some play and I had met a, gr- a girl that I was friends with who was an actor and she wasn't booking work, wanted to work on the other side of the table, started working at April Webster's office, called me, said, will you come in on audition for this? Just make me look good. You're never going to get it. And she would call me in to do that a bunch of times. And I would come in and I would just sort of be like, oh, this is the girl that Gina knows who has no credits. So we're not going to hire her for anything. And she can bear like, her fucking resume isn't even cut right. Like, we're not gonna hire. Her. She's, a, you know, she's just a, some squirrel. But, but she gave a good read, and she didn't make us look bad and whatever. So, um, so that was as a result of that. I ended up getting an audition for Criminal Minds that I got the part. I mean, and then I was only supposed to be two lines in the first episode because the show was too guy heavy. The pilot was too guy heavy. So they'd already cast a guy. Realized we need a girl. She called me, said, coming out, you're never going to get this one. There's just no way. And I can't express the feeling of freedom that comes from, I can't fail because I'm not going to get it. And right. Yo, I love this guy. I love those auditions. Yeah. I genuinely love this. It is like, this is mine for the next half hour. I can do whatever the yeah. fuck I want with this. It is a shot in the dark. If I get it, it's a boon. If I don't get it, what did I expect? Exactly. <laughs> so I went in, did it, went done, never going to happen. And then they're like, you got it. And I was like, what? You're gonna to go to Canada. I've never been out of the country. I gotta fly in a plane. I gotta find out. Do I have a birth certificate? Like it was a whole thing. Go shoot it. Well, that happened. Where'd you shoot? Vancouver? Uh yeah, Vancouver. Um, two day, three, two or three days I was there by myself in a room. Do you know Shamar Morris? No, he's a guy. You're talking to him. Okay, bring your own clothes. We don't know what you would wear. Bring your own clothes. Okay, brought my own clothes. What are these? And I dress like a space pirate, you know, like right, none. Yeah. You were like, you can't wear any of this. They put me in an argyle sweater and they here stay. Okay. So scared, terrified, you know, out of my mind, went home. Okay. And then when they tested the show, they realized that I tested high. So they said, we'll bring her in one more time. They brought me in the second time. And by that time, me and Shamar met, we had some chemistry. We hit on each other during a sexual harassment class. A writer was sitting behind me, wrote the lines down that we were saying to each other. Seven pages, and then, and then it became like, I knew they were going to fire me, so I'd bring in my grandma's candy dish, and I'd bring in things because also they're giving. Wait, wait, hang on. So you have jumped ahead of it. Why did you know they were going to fire you? Well, because, because I knew I wasn't supposed to get it in the first place. Because producers were looking at me. Because I clearly, I, I, I'm sure there are a lot of actors who feel this way, but I mean, I, I, I have a deep imposter syndrome that I can't seem to shake. And it is about everywhere. I mean, I'm, I used to like 
walk around the block of where I live to tell myself like, I have the right to stand here. I have the right to take up space. And sometimes it comes up, sometimes it's really strong. Um, and you really give off that vibe. And when you give off that vibe of like, I don't, it's not okay for me to even take a deep breath here. You know, and I was kind of doing that a lot and I'm so much better. And the weird thing is, is that I'm really confident, but it's a learned behavior. And I, I, I say all that not to like, I just say it because I want people to know that these are things you can learn. These are things you can um, stretch out of and they don't go away, but your, your, your capacity can expand. Your capacity for having this can expand. So, so I remember being there and these producers, one of the producers would look at me up and down and he would say out loud to my face, but kind of mumbling, I don't know why you test so well. Don't know. And then shake his head and walk away. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Oh I'm just going to keep. So I, and, and my friend who was working at the casting office was also saying, you're not. And you know, I never thought I was going to do this for a living. Never. I thought I was going to live on cat food and that was it. I had a big audition one time at Paramount, right? When I graduated from school, I was the hot shot by the time I had gotten into Cal State Fullerton. Like I, I was a big deal and acting teachers would talk about things I did and shit like that. And I went in, I auditioned for this and the casting director said, what are you going to do when you graduate? And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to audition for things. And she said, no, you're not. You're too young to get any part. You don't have any credits. You're not pretty enough. You're not fat enough to be a character actor. She goes, if you're lucky and you can get a job to live on something, maybe 10 years, you'll start booking, you know, a line here and there for like a waiter. And then I heard a noise that was the sound of my dreams breaking. And, uh, and then um, like, I was like, okay. But then I realized I can't not do it, you know? So I had to figure out a way to just do it and be like, well, I'm going to have six day jobs. I'm going to be a failure. Everyone's going to make fun of me. And so when I was 33, my sister and my mom were planning an intervention to tell me I had to quit acting. And I called them and I was like, I got it. I got a job. I'm going to Canada. And my sister's, and the, the, it's classic of my family. They told me that there was the intervention. They said, the intervention is this weekend. We're taking you to Ojai and you're going to quit acting. No one is going to be. Yeah. No one's going to give you money for groceries anymore. No one's going to help you pay that $500 for your rent. Like it's done. And, uh, and I was like, I got a job. They were like, say no. I was like, I can't, I can't, I gotta go do it. So, um, so I, when I got it, I remember getting it. And then like, this is not going to last for long because I knew I'm not going to be able to do this for a living. So I thought, make it count while it does make friends there. Cause then the art department might hire me for something as PA or something. And, and then it just kept going. And also I knew because when you go onto a show they treat you different. And so it was really neat to watch the trajectory. Cause when I was just there as a two line co-star, like people just kind of walk by, they're not, they're fine, but like, you're sort of set dressing human, you know what I mean? Or background, you know what I mean? But like, and then you move up and all of a sudden you're like, oh, they're lighting me better. Or, oh, they let me make a choice or they, you know what I mean? Or they're not, oh. And then one day, all of a sudden someone who's been fine she was all of a sudden being very reverent and that was a weird experience for me to realize that people modulate their behavior yeah based on um status because i'm not i mean i think that happens in a lot of businesses it's just pretty glaring in ours it is it is or and it's almost like a culture you know what i mean Mm -hmm. And, and what i'm so proud of and i love is that criminal minds wasn't that uh especially i mean 
and I'm not saying this had to do with Amanda Patinkin. I'm not saying this. I was going to ask because he's actually spoken very, very freely and candidly about his behavior on that show. And he sounds pretty apologetic. What was that period like? It was, I love him and he's such a great actor. And there was one day and we got along really well. There was a day where like he did, they had done this thing where he broke his leg and they put him in the room with me. And he said, do you want to run lines? I was like, oh my God, I have to see with an Andy. It's like, yeah. So we run, I look, we say our lines. And then the camera goes on. He doesn't say any of those lines. And my brain, my acting brain isn't friendly Kirsten. My, my actor in me is, she's ferocious, which I think all of ours is, right? So he starts and he's not doing it. And my brain goes, is like, oh, you fucking want to play? Okay, let's fucking do Like, I just, we just yelled at each other. We improvise. I don't know what happened. I don't remember that they said cut. And I looked up and the camera guys had their heads down and I thought, oh no, I'm not gonna work here anymore. And then then Mandy goes, great, let's do it again. <laughs> and it was so much fun and crazy. And so he, but there were times where one time we were doing a scene and, and it was supposed to be in Guantanamo and he would get so emotional. And I'd be like, what's wrong? He's like, well, we're here in Guantanamo and I'm not, you know, all I know. And I told him, and I'm not a hero about this. I'm just, I didn't have this job for such a long time because I'm not Mandy fucking Patinkin who's a magical unicorn beast. I'm my own magical unicorn beast and so are you and so is everybody else. But um, I was like, but we're here and we have health insurance and they bring us tea. And he looked at me and he was like, right. So sometimes but that's not his fault. I think that what happens is people around you curate so much your experience that you start being able to be like, it's just me and I'm in this experience. And but it, it you know what I mean? And, and it's, I'm in and, Cuba, not Burbank. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I love him. I think he's extraordinary. And I think what makes him so extraordinary that haunts him, I think, is that, you know, when that light goes on where he's there, he's there. And so you have to be a friend. I mean, I had to learn for myself how to settle my own nervous system from doing that show. You know what I mean? Because, but I mean, I think he's extraordinary. And I, by no means I'm, I'm judging myself for that story. I just told, cause I was like, I don't want it to come across. Like I'm a, you know, fucking hero. Cause I, that's not what I mean. No, it's not coming across like that. I mean, again, he has been extremely candid and I'm not, we're not talking out of school. He talks about how, he wishes he had done things differently on that show in particular and in earlier in his career in general. He's, um, and he's a love, and you know, we got to act together on Criminal Minds on TikTok during the election. Really? He called me and said, will you do a scene with me where I'm Gideon and you're Penelope? And we did. And That's it right, was, because he's got this massive TikTok following Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now. And it was so much fun and such a flashback into exactly what I love about working with him. He was, he was like, I'm doing, I'm doing my coverage. I need you to read. Okay. Yes, Mandy. Yes, Mandy. Like, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But it is, he's so, you know, he is, he is very reverent as well. He should be of his gift. And he works really hard to try to create the world the way he wants to see it. You know, he does both of those things. And and so there's no, there's no, you know, he just has, he has a very fast horse that he has to ride on called his talent, you know, and like, that's the thing. But like when Joe Mantegna got there, who's just also extraordinary, he like set the tone of that place 
So you could be anybody and everybody gets treated like we're all here. At least, you know, of course it's easy for me to say that because I'm up in the, in the rare air, but um, I have heard that from people. I, I met him once at a party in Montana and I'm nobody to anybody. This is like eight years ago and he was uh, warm and engaging and I, I got a really good vibe off the guy. Yeah, he's, he's just the best. And he teaches people how to, you know, behave. And I remember doing this interview this one time and I, it hit me during this interview. Oh my gosh, this is my commerce well. This job is my commerce well. This job is not art. It can be art. On a good day, it's art. Sure. But some days it's not going to be. I don't get to just go in and just be like, I'm going to do it like this. I, mean, I could, but I'd slow everything down and whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so you have to go fill your art well somewhere else, mm-hmm. you know? And then if you're lucky, that becomes commerce, you mm-hmm. know, maybe. But that was the other thing about this job is that I, I back to like how did, I started to acclimate like, <sighs> Take the existential leap to be the person who has a job like this. And, and it's not, it didn't feel like it would be me, but like pretend, just pretend for a few more longer seconds. And I think that that's really the only way any of us get anything done is just pre- pretend. And then you do it and then like, oh, I did it for longer. And, and now, and then I did it for longer. And then the, I, they just kept me around. And well, the I, phrase in, in certain communities is fake it till you make it. Yeah. And uh, I found that to be alarmingly true. You bring up an interesting point about Mantegna, um, about how he teaches everyone to how to conduct themselves. It was only very recently in my 20 or so year career that I realized that number one on a call sheet makes you sort of the department head. Yeah. You're sort of the head of the acting department. Yeah. And there are rights, but also responsibilities that come with that. And it's always nice when you hear stories about someone who steps up and is like, okay, I'm just going to set the tone here. Oh yeah. And, and the way he said it, because, you know, to be there and to watch and to, and going back again to something else we were talking about before to, to, to get, to make money as an actor, there's all kinds of people. I know some of the best actors I know don't have their SAG cards. Yeah. So oh, we can't. That's a whole other story. Yeah. Yeah. We can't. We can't. This is a, a the glass. How the glass ceiling gets broken. Whatever. And and some people act like, oh, if I act like I'm super special or you know, um, it, you know, you have to be a certain, like if I act a certain way, it sort of raises my value. I feel like there's this kind of thing, and I noticed it when I was to work on a job on on this show and. And in the part that I had and kind of watch the way when people come in and they've been, you know, some big deal on another thing and they show up and they have this expectation that they should be treated better or differently or whatever. And, you know, how people respond to fear, all that stuff. And, and I think what was so wonderful, what's so wonderful about Joe is that Joe is like, he teaches you that you can be a big deal and you don't, you can leave the drama on the stage. Hmm. You know what I mean? You, right. you, he's right. a big deal and he demands respect and he will come up to the guy that has one line in the scene that he's got 50,000 and be like, Hey, do you want to run lines? Do I need to do it? What's your name? Like, and that's the way we all I'm touching my heart. That moves yeah. me so much. Yeah. And, and, and that is, 
I want, and I had a belief, one of the, one of my big resistances that I still have about success and things was that I don't want to betray. I'm going to tear up. Maybe I don't want to betray. I know so many people who are, like I said, so good at this and they don't have the opportunities and the chances that, that I've had. And I mean, total hand to mouth, just, just for the love of, you know, Uh and, and you don't want to betray them. You don't, and and so Joe, and Joe comes from that group of people. Joe was a theater artist in Chicago and Joe doesn't betray those people. And so I really thought I had seen enough people and their behavior. I thought, oh, you get to a certain point and you, I guess you have to become kind of a douche and to learn like, well, and I, I learned that from, I mean, I, I've, I've watched you from afar and then up close. Cause by the way, you are a big deal. And by the way, you have been lovely to people that you barely know at parties because you you've been lovely to me at parties that you probably don't even know about. So there, um, and uh, well, we were we were at a couple of uh, uh, we were at a couple of like TV really guide, uh, 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 really e- extravagantly catered things. And I'm always <laughs> just I, I think like you, I'm always just really psyched about the free sushi. Well, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I I've, I've, I I do I do recall uh, yeah. because I enjoy your work too. So it's it's yeah, but but carry on. But like yeah, that like. I don't ever want to think that, I mean, I think it's a privilege that we get to do this and that, you you know, but it doesn't make you cool. Like, and I wish I could have told the part, the kid, but I wish I could have told her, like, that's something that I do go back in time in my head and, and, and tell I am one of the things I'm fascinated by is time happening at the same time. So like, I want to go back always to my 27 year old self and be like, no, you were cool. Like that makes you like, now I have to actually hustle for my, you know, like, because I get this automatic praise because you can see my face on a TV. You know what I mean? And, and it's like, I haven't done an, I haven't, you know, during the pandemic, I did a lot of nothing. So like, and I don't mean like productivity culture wise, but probably a little bit, uh, I'm thinking <laughs> to that, but like, but I just think that there are so many people who do so many valid, wonderful things that nobody sees. And then they think that it's not a big deal, but it is because you're part, if you are part, if you're an actor, if you're any kind of creator, you're automatically by the act of creating whatever your little thing is and whoever sees it, you're part of the collective unconscious that makes pop culture, that makes the things that we see on TV. Yeah. Like the things that we see on TV is chewed up gum from the sweat and the effort of people that never, you know, it, it, every once in a while, yes, every once in a while those things come to be, but a lot of times they don't. And I, I feel so tender about, about that because I'm, I still work in those worlds and I won't ever not because that's where, that's where the juice is. You know what I mean? I feel yeah. like a fucking vampire right now by even saying it, but like, um, but it, that's, but you, your art well and your commerce, like to have an acting job is all fine and good. But if you're doing that, like you, it's like you're nine to five, you know, which is great. It's great. It's a great gig, but it's, it's not art. And I, I just, I think that's just so valid because there's, there's people who live in places where they have no access to get an audition or do anything. And they're doing something really fucking cool. You know, and, and I just, I hope that people know that I want, and I remind myself of that, you know, as I sit in my little room right now, 
I go to make things like no one could see this or they could think you've lost your mind. We know it's something. Uh, to, to quote a great Mandy Patinkin role, you've, you've made a hat where there never was a hat. Uh, exactly. So what I love about Penelope, and I bet this is, I bet this is the case for a lot of the show's fans, is that you're on this show about FBI profilers, horrific shit happens on this show, horrific, horrific stuff happens on that show, but the only person who seems to be genuinely affected by all this violence and abuse is Penelope. She's the only one who allows herself, and I'm, I'm speaking in broad generalities here, no question, and everyone gets their moments where they're a little overwhelmed. But but she struggles with the darkness that she sees. I'm wondering how much, I'm starting to think I know the answer to this, but how much say did you have in that? Uh, I, I can count, I've watched maybe, maybe, I mean, I'm not gonna count Get Out because Get Out's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen in my life. It is a horror film, but uh, beyond Get Out, I, I don't know how many horror film, films I've seen in their entirety. I have such a low tolerance. Oh, really? Movies. Yeah, and I, I, I had a lot of, uh, I, I just don't have a good, yeah, I think it's just because I'm anxious and I have, I ha it's like, I've done it. Like, I don't need to, I don't need to dysregulate my nervous system for fun. Like I can dysregulate for on stage, like, oh, I'll do it all day. The day is long. I'll get scared. I'll jump or I'll do it. You know, that's enjoyable to me. But to watch it, to consume it, mm -hmm. like I have to be very, my friends all know, like I'm no fun to watch something with. So like that bit was a happy accident at the very, like very beginnings of us shooting stuff. They, you know, everybody's trying to like make the perfect show and they don't know what the show is yet, you know? Yeah. So they're trying to really make it real, real and, you know, come up with a concept. And so everything was real. Like everything was like, we got to make sure this is exactly how you do this. And this is exactly how you do this. So the crime photos were real. Yeah, so yeah. the camera wasn't going down on them, but they were you could putting see them in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we were shooting something, me and Shamar, and we were shooting in that round table room. And and the, the Ed Bernero, who's the executive producer at the time, had this idea that the, the cast was like the Knights of the Round Table and that Penelope was Merlin. And um, <laughs> it was kind of a fun, you know, thing to do and, and whatever. So uh, so I was, wa I was walking around the table talking and I, uh, they were, it was kind of a moment where I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't worried, like the camera wasn't, they must've been rehearsing something. It wasn't something that I would do because I'm a real rule follower. And especially then I'm still like this. I sometimes, I, I don't know where the camera is. I don't want to do it or I don't want to mess anybody up. So I'll get very like, follow directions, stand where you're supposed to um, thing. Um, and I, we were talking and I was sick of looking at this fucking picture. Cause it's like, we don't need to look at it right now. Like it's not, we weren't in the thing and it was right down by my eyes. Mm -hmm. And I said something to him and I turned around and I flipped I flipped the, the thing closed and, and then we were talking and I don't know if they asked me to do it again or they had shot that, 
but that was in that episode. And this is very early on because I, there are 325 episodes of that show and I've watched maybe 10 and I had to watch four of them 9,000 times because I co-wrote them. Right, um, right. I just can't, I can be in it or I can, I can't do both. I can watch right. it or I can be in it, but to do, and I love, I love it. I think it's, I think it's so great that people watch it. So I don't have a, you know, a problem with that. Uh, no, but, it's, um, it's got, it's again, you know, there's, there's cannibalism, there's horrific violence. It's not for the faint yeah. of heart. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's super cool that people love it. And I watch the same four shows again and again, like a weirdo. Um, and, uh, so, so, um, that happened and then they were sort of like, oh, that's an interesting idea. And then I just started pitching like, well, if, if you see something, you react, you know what I mean? Like I wasn't even pitching it. I was just sort of like doing it. I was making choices basically. Cause I could, and no one was saying don't. And so, you know, I'd see something I'd have a, I'd react. And then, you know, it's what the editors choose to put in there that then makes the writers start writing stuff that then makes the, you know, so it was just sort of like this lovely, happy accident. And it was something that then by the time, you know, we got, we get a director in let's say season 12 um, or 10 that comes in and says, you know, for this camera angle, I really need Penelope to be looking at the screen for this thing. I could say, and I would say respectfully and all that, I would say, you know, we've never done that and I can do it, but there's going to be a payoff. To, like she doesn't do that. Um, but it worked out well for me as, a, as an actor because I didn't have, I, I could rationalize why Penelope memorized the case files so that she didn't ever have to look at the picture so that wow. she, she did look at the pictures, there was an appropriate response, you know, um, yeah. because you can't, and you can't be, you can't, she needed to be an, the empath. There has to be somebody on a show like that who is the eyes of the audience. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is that I think you were very much the proxy for a lot of people watching at home who can admire Reed and can admire Shamar more, but can't be them. Right, right. But and they, I think they, also also the, the, it's the best part in the world because not only did I get to wear the greatest outfits and mm -hmm. I get to be a, a crazy smart woman and I get to be not, you know, I get to be sexy. I was the first character on that show who multiple times was seen post-coitus and, and is not the size two, you know, like I had right. multiple people and like, so there was all of that. But on top of it, she's the deus ex machina. So they write these lines where it's like, she solved everything. You know, that part in Scooby-Doo where everyone goes, the fruit was wax. And you're like, well, I could have fucking solved it. Right. If I knew the fruit was wax. She's the one who calls and says it's wax with this jaunty music. So you're, you're watching the show all freaked out and then your whole body goes, oh, when this girl comes on, which is why when I'm at an airport, people will just, just reflexively pick me up. Like I'm so used to it now. I'm so used to just, because you'll see that on their face afterwards, like, oh God, I'm sorry. Like people just come up and touch, like gr grab my body. And you were the thing that calmed me down during this litany of sexual yeah. assault. Yeah. And, yeah. and I had done a play before Criminal Minds. I had done this play and it, it was, it, it gotten a lot, a lot of women came to this play. It was a place called Perfect and it was a really cool play. And, uh, and it was just, you know, a 99 seat, you know, play, but it had this sort of, you know, manifesting your dreams kind of thing. And, and, uh, and after the show, women would come up to me. 
oh my God, oh, oh. and they'd pet my arm and, and I felt so special. And I would go home, my apartment that I couldn't afford, my little guest house in Artesia. <laughs> like, and I'm just me now and I'm this big. But over there, I was this big and everybody was projecting all this stuff on me. And I started to have this really good lesson about being an actor. So that now when I'm out in the world because of Penelope, you realize it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with me at all. I'm a two-dimensional image in someone's living room that they are projecting stuff that they need to put on me. So mm-hmm. it's a relationship between them and them. And I got to be the little, you know, the little doll for it or whatever. And it's really about them and them, which, which, which I think is sweet. And it also takes away that like, you can't help, like it's it's the greatest it's a it's it's just it was a really neat job I don't know what it would like we like to be a villain because you know how people would respond to you that way but like I'm it's she's she's a, either either people dislike her deeply but those people don't come up to me uh, or people just love her you know what I mean and mm-hmm. and and that was a really sweet like experience to have who were when you were growing up watching tv taking in theater who were some some actors some character actors that that like you might want to pick up oh yeah uh uh the first one that uh, comes to mind and i still watch her and i will still be like i'm getting choked up again is when i watch her is wait for it i bet you haven't had this one lady aberly from mr rogers uh betty Aberlin is the actor's name Thank you. So um, I, I don't know where you think you are, but you're in a safe place for this kind of thing. Perfect. Yeah. No, yeah. she's she's wonderful. Extraordinary. Incredibly soothing. And she, you know, she has a tiny little turn in the Kevin Smith film Dogma yeah. as a nun. Yes. They uh, like they they formed some sort of friendship. Mm-hmm. I think she was in a, a few of his things. But there's something about her, because not only is she sweet. But I'm thinking about a 1979 episode. Remember how I said there's four shows I watch on repeat? This might be yeah. one of them. Is Mr. Rogers. Um, uh, there is a part in it where Daniel Tiger is upset about going to school because one of the other puppets have told him he has to have everything perfect when he gets there. And she is so vexed, like so upset and is like, I need to go talk to her. And it is so intense, like the intensity and the earnestness and all that. Um, Another one that I loved because I loved his authenticity. I loved the safety in his, I wanna say rage. There was just something about it I really resonated with and I love was Red Fox. Oh yeah. Love Red Fox. Interesting. Um, Love, love, love. Um, And it just always thought like very, just like grounded and um, I f- could feel the joy. Like I like watching someone that I'm feeling like I'm watching them have this experience, but I'm also watching that, I don't know, that existential kink of being mad about this thing or whatever. Like, I love that. Um, uh, Mandy Patinkin, if you can imagine that. Um, <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter. Mm. I love me. Well, that's interesting because she was a straight up leading lady in the, uh, in it went the dawn of her career, you know, room, room with a view is, is her movie. I know. I know. And she, she has to pick up scenes and take them away from Daniel day Lewis for fuck's sake. But, 
but she has grown into this fantastic scene stealer in her middle age that has yeah. been so fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, 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 Alice Beasley from- Oh, I uh, love Alice Beasley. You know, um, she hasn't come up, but Moonlighting has come up before on this show. Oh, yeah. Um, and she's a character actor power couple, because you know who her husband is. Yes. Yeah, yes. the late Vincent Schiavelli. Yes, that I was trying to think his name. Yeah, but incredible. Um, but and yeah, yeah they, that were, they, those, were, they were they That's like that's relationship goals. Those two. Now, which speaking of, uh, Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy were another ones that I deeply like as a kid. I was the kid that read like Andy Rooney and the Joy of Yiddish. I was that kid. Um, so I, <laughs> I don't know how many other of those kids there were, but that yeah, was I don't. That's not a um, type necessarily. <laughs> You know, the guy who, who you know, uh, the, the, the senior citizen who's, who's uh, uh, a, a, clo uh, a, a closet Shalom Aleichem fan in Orange County. Oh. That type. That old yeah, that, that That one. Um, Shelley Duvall. Um, but yeah. Shelley Duvall from like, you know, her telling fairy tales stuff. Um, oh, okay. So, so sort of middle or late period uh, Shelley Duvall, but not yeah. necessarily... Um, uh, Annie Hall Shining, Shelley Duvall. No, I did like her in Annie Hall Shining. I did, I did like that. That's true. That's true. Um, I'm missing a whole bunch of other people. I'm trying to think. Martha Plimpton. Oh, has been a guest on the show. Oh. Yeah, we had, we had, I worked with Martha on a show for HBO Max um, where I play her, her old gay friend on a show called Generation. And um, she, uh, she's a delight. She's got great stories. She's worked with everybody. I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She is um, a, a goddamn delight. Were there parts coming up? Because you've, I mean, you were tied up for 15 years on a, on a series regular contract. And you know, that obviously gave you the summers to do theater, which is awesome. Um, right. And you used it so well, which is why I, I refer to your career as sort of a dream gig on so many fronts. Because you got to do, you know, you had the, the, the winter was for the public and then the summers were for you on a couple of fronts. Yeah, uh, which is exciting. But were there parts that got away where you're like, ah, oh, that would have been fun. Parts that we would know of where you're like, ah, oh, shit, why didn't. Uh. OK, I know that during during the pandemic and I want to be really clear that this this part went to the right person. Um, but um, during the pandemic, I had a lot of auditions. I had more auditions than I've ever had. Um, and and it's a weird thing, auditions. I and mean, that's a whole other conversation. But I, I, I'm very frustrated. I get I get a little defiant about making it work because I think what about the people that don't have the ability to get a fucking light or set up a thing like it's a it's a game of resources really like right. if, you know what I mean and having to use that part of your brain that you know makes a technical thing work and then be art like I I get fair not that I'm good in the room I want to be really clear <laughs> I mean like if I was there I would have nailed it no I think I'm worse um uh, I think I'm actually much worse um uh, but so my, my agents, I had gotten agents. I hadn't really had them, uh, before cause I didn't really need it. I got the job, you know, and it was sort of like, there it is. And so I got agents and, and so they were sending me out on things. And so one of the things I almost got, like, almost like, this is when you fly out almost was uh, girls five Eva. Oh, really? That was the, uh, which with the Paula Pell part. Do you sing? You sing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, and I actually, um, I, I did a, uh, uh, a lot of stuff I write now are musicals, accidental musicals. Like I, yeah, I, I, I take singing lessons. I try to, I, I'm, I can hold my own and I have, you know, this, I have the throat of my dad, so I can't sing opera, but I can carry a tune kind of a thing. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. 
Kirsten Vances, I can't thank you enough for taking the time this this morning. This has this been is such, such an honor. I feel so fancy. This is such a delight to to talk to you. We could go for the old. I, I'm the one who who has to to wrap it up. I have a thing at one, and I got to feed my kid. But um, uh, uh, thank you so much for for uh, being on the show, and uh, I look forward to seeing you as as our our city crawls back to normal. I look forward to seeing you on a stage very soon. Ditto and ditto. And that is an episode wrap on Kirsten Vans Ness. You can follow her on Twitter at Vans Ness or on Instagram at Kirsten Vans Ness and check out her podcast, Kirsten's Agenda. Forever Dog. Household Faces is a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by John Ross Bowie, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Produced by Ben Blacker. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. Until next time, when's lunch? Pew, pew, pew.